Welcome to episode 147 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we try to find our sea legs with a review of the sunny new Pixar adventure, Luca. But first, how are you, Scott? Doing pretty well. I'm not going to say that I took a trip to the Italian Riviera this past week, but the reason why my audio quality was mediocre um, in the In the Heights episode, if you listen to that, was because... I of my of my own had a, had a you know a, a water themed adventure going down to Miami and uh, recorded in the Heights there, and you know I'm not going to say that I had the same experiences that Luca did uh, on his like little coastal exploits, but I had a good time down there. I'm feeling very refreshed and uh, sun beaten, sun weathered. I don't know what the right word is there. It was hot. Heat index every day was like 98, 99. Uh, but, you know, I'm back in New York City where it rained today and it's like 65 degrees outside right now. And, you know, I decided that I like 65 degrees better. But anyway, anyway, Scott, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, that that was nice. Um, I don't have any trips or anything like that on my horizon. But, um, yes, you know, you do. maybe the, you're, coming to, you're coming to New York. That is true. I am. I I, uh, I am planning on coming to New York in, in September. I need to uh, actually finalize uh, finalize those plans. But, yeah, no, I'm looking forward. I am looking forward to that. I was actually just thinking about that the other day. And um, yeah, we're going to hopefully catch the Yankees and Indians game. Um, I'm sure the Absolutely. Indians will probably be out of playoff contention by that point because it's uh, September. But tickets might be cheap. Yeah. And we can uh, <laughs> we can enjoy a nice cold one to the fact that uh, the Indian season is basically over uh, as uh, Tennessee season. I haven't I feel like I haven't done a Tennessee sports update in a in a while. And in classic Tennessee fashion, they. You, know, you missed the weeks to, to give the updates. That's the problem. You missed the yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that's what it was. But you know, in classic Tennessee fashion, they you know had advanced to the College World Series for the first time since 2005 in very dramatic and emotional fashion, and then uh, lost two games immediately, and now we're out. Um, so it you know crashed and burned as only Tennessee knows how to do. But um, you know, I, I've come to expect it over the years. And, um, honestly, to barely feel any disappointment anymore because it's just it feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point. Well, Scott, I asked this eternal question or some variant of it every single time I feel like this comes up. But like, would you rather be a Brooklyn Nets fan right now? Uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's a fair question. You know, I, I don't care too much about the NBA, but I have been, uh, you know, watching uh, some of some of the games and I did catch uh, that game seven and man talking about from ec- ecstasy to agony right like the Durant shot to send it to overtime was just ludicrous that he made that uh, and then the Bucks weren't like doing anything on offense for like the first four minutes of that overtime but like the Nets just couldn't pull it away and then you know the Bucks strung together a couple baskets and Turns out that was that was all it took, but uh, but yeah, no, I know they missed Kyrie Irving. I think he probably would have made a big difference if if he had been able to play. But uh, yeah. also James, also Hard- if Durant James Harden had been like an inch further back, he would have made a three instead of a two at the end of regulation. That is true. He it was very close, uh, and James Harden clearly like wasn't him. So like he was still nagging that injury. Like he still had yeah. that nagging injury. It was that was clear. Like he just was. I mean, Katie put the team on his back. 
in both yeah, games, I mean, he six al- and seven. He almost had fifty again um, in in game seven, so it, it it was what it was. But yeah, you know, it, different teams in the the conference finals, so that's kind of cool. To see. like, we could get a Milwaukee versus Phoenix final, which would be uh, pretty wild. Hey, I saw I saw Stephen A. Smith on Sports Center this morning saying that Devin Booker was the next Kobe Bryant. So uh, up up the Suns. Yeah. Uh, that, that could very well be, he balled out the other night in game one, but anyway, Scott, enough, uh, enough sports talk. Uh, yeah. I guess people can, we didn't even get to Matthew to... McConaughey. We didn't even get to the real intersection of Matthew McConaughey and soccer. <laughs> Austin FC, baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah. more importantly than Austin FC though, at least for the purposes of our podcast, Scott is our movie today, which is Luca, the second straight Pixar release to go straight to Disney plus. Directed by Enrico Casarosa, Luca is a seaside adventure set in the Italian Riviera. Our title character, voiced by Jacob Tremblay, is a sea monster who has been sheltered by his parents, voiced by Maya Rudolph and Jim Gaffigan, from exploring beyond the surface of the water. One day, however, Luca touches land and discovers a surprise. He transforms into a human boy. Soon, Luca befriends fellow sea monster Alberto, voiced by Jack Dylan Grazer, who now makes his home on land after being abandoned by his father. The friendship between the two boys carries them to the nearby town of Porto Rosso, where they meet the spunky Julia, voiced by Emma Berman, and the villainous Ercole, voiced by Severio Raimondo, both of whom have their sights set on the Porto Rosso Cup, a local race that tests both the stamina and the stomachs of its participants, with prize money going to the winners. Seduced by the dream of buying their own shiny Vespa scooter, Luca and Alberto team up with Julia and begin training for the race. Over the course of the summer, the two boys will co- will soon come to learn a lot about themselves and each other as they reflect on their futures and what family and friendship truly mean to each of them. Scott, we were both fans of 2020's two Pixar releases, Soul and Onward, but does Luca continue their hot streak or is it a trifling diversion not worthy of the iconic studio's lofty pedigree? Yeah, interesting question. I think, I guess I'll just like first and foremost, I think Luca is like a very different kind of Pixar movie. I think that it doesn't really have too many like lofty thematic ambitions. I think that honestly, some of its themes are like kind of super on the nose even, which is fine. And I found it to be quite refreshing. Do I think it's as good as either of the movies we talked about last year? I personally don't. I think both onward and especially soul are better than Luca, but at the same time, like, I like that Pixar is doing different things. So maybe it kind of doesn't fit with the rest of Pixar's typical offerings, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I will say this film reminded me a lot more of a different animated studio or animation studio than it did Pixar, particularly Studio Ghibli. I think it reminded me a lot of some of the vibes of their movies, um, some of which I've been rewatching recently, actually. And I think Ghibli probably does it better for the most part. I don't think that's like a super controversial thing to say, but I think that in the world of American animation rather than Japanese anime, I think that there, this, this movie certainly has a place. It's a lot of fun. It's a perfect summer movie. I mean, this is like the perfect time for this movie to release. I mean, it's the middle of June and you know, it's, it's hot outside. It's refreshing. It's like refreshing to watch a movie like this, just like it was refreshing in its own right to watch in the Heights, you know, the week before. And I think that it, it fits perfectly in the release schedule. It's a huge bummer that, you know, this didn't release in theaters. I probably still would have watched it on Disney Plus just because I was traveling this past week. But I think that it would have been a great summer movie. I saw some articles, like some analyst articles or some 
trade articles talking about how like the box office was like beg like on Father's Day weekend was begging for a Pixar movie. I'm like, I'm not entirely sure that that's true, but it would have been really cool for the movie to be at the box office uh, this past weekend and a huge bummer that it wasn't. I think, you know, if you take soul out of the picture, you would have said maybe if someone besides Enrico Casarosa is the one directing this, maybe it would go to theaters. But I mean, Pete Doctor is is the man at Pixar and his movie didn't go to theaters. So I, I don't even know if you can even say that necessarily. But yeah, it's it's fun. Its score is very like the score just matches the film perfectly. It has like big, big vibes, big sun, sun washed or sun kissed vibes on the score. Um, you know, sometimes I think it goes maybe a little bit too far trying to like amp up the seriousness of some of like the climactic moments. But for the most part, when the movie's sort of just plodding along pretty plotlessly, I think the score just kind of fits the vibe and the mood perfectly. Um, not the best yeah, of Pixar's filmography, but I, I enjoyed it, um, even if it's a bit lower quality for me. Yeah, I was going to say it's Dan Romer, who uh, if you're familiar with his work um, in with Beast of the Southern Wild and uh, and Wendy, the two Ben Zeitlin movies, then uh, yeah. you'll definitely see some similarities here between those scores, like very triumphant, very, uh, yeah. driven Whimsy by too. horns, uh, driven yeah. by horns primarily. Um when I like, I, you know, I first heard the score in this movie and I, you know, looked up to see who it was. And I was like, that makes complete sense as soon as I saw his name. Um, but yeah, go, yeah, go on. <laughs> well, no, I don't think I have too much more to add other than, other than to say I understand why Pixar or sorry, I should say Disney didn't put this in theaters because I don't think it would have been a, a great success. Um, but I think that's just a function of like, man, the box office is just like more and more every single year is just so driven by IP. I mean, look at what movies are coming out at the box office right now, right? Like, of course, it's the summer that's expected, et cetera, et cetera. But like the movies that perform well and the movies that are, it's it's a loop, right? Like the movies that perform well, the movies that are chosen, the movies that are advertised, the movies that perform well, they're all they're all IP, man. Like Fast and Furious next week, Quiet Place a few weeks ago, In the Heights isn't IP, but it, it, there, you know, you're doubling down on your creator. Um, which is a form of, like, in my mind, is very similar to a form of IP if you have an auteur director behind something. I, although, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda is not a director um, yet, at least. But anyway, um, I mean, those are the movies that are coming out, which, I, again, I think that makes sense, but it's it's disappointment. And I think that part of the reason why this movie is still coming out on Disney Plus and not coming out in theaters is because of how Onward performed before the pandemic. And I think that, yes, it didn't have a full run at the box office to see how far it would have gone, but it, it very massively underperformed in its first weekend back in uh, the beginning of March. You know, it was one of the last weekends of the box office. Um, and it underperformed pretty pretty significantly, if I remember correctly, uh, at least expectations. So I wonder if that's also sort of incentivizing his decision-making. We'll see how it goes moving forward. Maybe maybe Disney will be trying to cut back on the budget of these things. And that, I don't think the budget sacrifices quality always. I think that depends on what you do with your budget, as, uh, of course. But I think that there are some things about this movie that, to me, felt a little bit... Um, lower quality uh this isn't my favorite pixar animation for example uh some of it some of it's charming i think the sea monsters elements and like the fish and the underwater is is like i think it's really good animation but then like most of the time is spent on land where i feel like the human design like didn't work as well for me it felt just kind of weird and unsettling a little bit at, at certain times for me again it didn't didn't click for me like it did in soul um which i felt felt very realistic um so it was lacking a bit in that department for me. But again, like I think this movie just hits at the sort of right place, right time. And it was a very enjoyable 85, 90 minutes, whatever it was. 
And uh, yeah, I, I'd recommend it if you have 90 minutes to kill um, on a hot summer day. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a charming time. And especially, you know, you, we talked about the two 2020 Pixar releases, um, you know, Soul and Onward. Both of those heavy films, it must be said, like Onward is, is you know, very much about uh, coming to terms with, you know, the death of, uh, you know, the father of the main two characters. Um, and then Soul, you know, gets very existential in terms of, um, you know, what's your purpose in life and yeah. um, all of that sort of thing. And Toy Story uh, so 4 this, did that the year before. Sure, I mean, sure. Uh, yeah. Forky, you know, I'm trash, all of that jazz. But, um, but so this felt like a nice reprieve from that, right? And especially coming in the summer, um, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's a nice carefree, um, and look, I'm going to, I'm going to do it again. I'm just, I think I'm just going to try to sell every movie this way over the course of the summer. It's kind of an all plot or a no plot, all vibes movie. I mean, yes, there is this plot about, um, you know, them trying to win this race, obviously, to get the Vespa. But, you know, it's kind of just set over the course of this one summer. It's, you know, a coming of age story. Um, it's just a lot about them. You know, like I, like I kind of said in the intro, they're learning um, about each other, the types of things that, um, you know, they have a passion for. Like Luca is learning, is learning that he has a passion for learning um, as he is um on land and alberto is trying to figure out you know sort of what he wants to do with this future and um you know there's this central friendship between the two of them and then also there's julia who comes into the picture and um in some ways is kind of a you know rift causes a rift between them a little bit um but you know so so there's you know it it kind of just coasts along right on the the charm of its um characters and its setting more so than like again abc plot um although yeah if you want to you know piece it together there there's more there than you know uh yeah. average one of these movies that i'm talking about but and it, that's you know, what it, i'm kind of talking oh sorry go ahead no go ahead go ahead I was gonna say, and that's exactly i think the vibe of what i'm talking about when i say it reminds me a lot of studio ghibli style which yes they certainly have plenty of films like me there are plenty of miyazaki films with quite a bit of plot but some yeah. of my favorite ghibli films are ones that feel relatively plotless like yeah. kiki's delivery service my neighbor one of my favorites. and kiki's delivery service yeah. are the two that i would point to for sure um, yeah spirited away is also i know you haven't seen that one yet right not yet um, no. yeah like there's more plot to that but again it's like it still feels relatively plotless and i just really enjoy that like what again the the big animation vibes for me work a lot of the time not the plot doesn't because i mean plenty of i mean plenty of my favorite pixar movies are very heavy plot but there's a place for these types of, of films and and when you get it right with the animation and the style, et cetera, it really works. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, it's not to say that this, you know, is missing some of the Pixar ingredients because just because they did something different, because this movie still has that emotional payoff in the last 15 or 20 minutes that you would expect from a Pixar. I mean, that, you know, again, we got it in Soul, we got it in On, we got it in Toy Story 4. I mean, it, you'd be hard pressed to find um, a Pixar film that doesn't, you know, lean into that in the last 15 to, uh, to 20 minutes. And they're, you know, usually very good at that type of storytelling because they're very good at setting up, you know, the characters and the relationships and everything. And I think Luca is no exception, even if it is not as heavy, like I said, as, um, you know, some of Pixar's previous films. Talking of the animation style, um, you know, I have seen some pretty strong criticisms of it, to be honest with you, from, from some people. I, for me, it's just like maybe it's just not something that I notice that much unless it's just like 
you know, distractingly bad. Um, I think, you know, it, it, there was nothing that really jumped out to me the, 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 you know, when I, the only time I really do like notice animation style is like during Ghibli movies, because I really like the hand-drawn animation style. Like, I just think like, to me, that's the ideal. Um, but you well, know, so, some, of the, some to, of this movie was definitely hand-drawn. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to the, um, computer generated stuff, yeah, I mean, nowadays it all looks pretty good to me when you're coming for, when you're talking about, you know, major studios that have a lot of money, stuff like that, but have a lot of money, um, stuff like or I that. I should so, say, I think they, I think they tried to make this look hand drawn. I don't think any of it was. Yeah. I don't know if, yeah, no, I, I know. I know tried to make some like, of it has that appearance. It has that appearance. I think because of the setting, right? Like the Italian Riviera just almost like feels has that sort of hand drawn feel to it. Ju like just from render rendering and I don't know, but it's just like that. It's a classical environment. And I feel like that's more of a classical animation style. But um, regardless, um, you know, it, it wasn't something that super jumped out to me as terrible. I mean, I'd be interested to go back and look at the movie again, and, you know, paying more attention to the human characters, maybe specifically, uh, because I think that is what I have seen the critiques about. But um, and, you know, see whether it jumps out to me um, or not. But um, it wasn't something that really took that much away from from the movie for me if there's one thing that i would critique about the movie it's the first 20 minutes i think it gets off to a slow start and i was trying to pinpoint exactly why that is why i felt that way and i will give a shout out to uh my buddy amaru moses um because he made the comment that it felt the first 20 minutes felt like a pixar short and i was like that's it that's exactly what like the problem that i had just like this the whole like setting up the um, you know, relationship with the parents and then like the first little first few scenes between him and Alberto where they're just like they're on the the edge the of the island really and they're yeah. they're like building the Vespa and just like goofing around in the water and stuff like that. I, it just felt, you know, like something you would see before another Pixar movie. Um, and I think maybe maybe that's why it was slow going for me when they actually get to the town. Um, that was like when the movie like kicked into gear for me and I was pretty much sucked in for the rest of the way and really, uh, really yeah. invested in what was going on for the rest of the way. So that's kind of, to me, where the movie loses a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think, again, I, I think it set the tone for like a pretty plotless story there. So I think it, it fits, but I mean, certainly I think things pick up dynamically, uh, like in terms of the dynamics of everyone when you get you know when they get to uh porto rosso you know off the island to the city you get all these other characters introduced that are bigger players frankly than uh lucas parents are and i mean also does yeah. maya rudolph just have like animated mom cornered i, I is she the person who calls now I, I heard her voice and i was like surely that's not her again <laughs> and then <laughs> it i looked is. it up and i was like yeah oh it is <laughs> But yeah, no, I I hear what you're saying, and I think a lot of it, and you know, to transition maybe to the cast, the voice cast a little bit, a lot of it has to do with the introduction of the Julia character, who's like, you know, my favorite character in this movie, and really like has a ton of personality that I think just like um, she's spunky, you know, lights up the the proceedings. Um, but Emma Berman voices her. Um, Never you know, heard not of a, yeah, <laughs> no, not a not a big name. Um, the two leads, of course, more well known names um, sure. with. Uh, you know, Jacob Tremblay, who has been in Room, Doctor Sleep, all of that. 
um, all of that sort of stuff. Jack Dylan Grazer, we know from Shazam and it, um, you know, he, he's made a name for himself as well. Um, and yeah, the, you know, the only other names like that, um, you know, really jump out are Maya Rudolph and Jim Gaffigan, who he mentioned Sasha Baron Cohen has like two seconds as the weird uncle. Um, Oh, that's you know, Sasha Baron Cohen. I missed yeah, that. I didn't even. It was. Yeah, I mean, you, you could, you could easily miss it. Um, but uh, yeah, Scott, what did you think about uh, the performances here uh, by the voice cast? Look, I honestly don't think any of them are that remarkable. I'll, I'll be honest. I think that they're all very average. No one really, to me, stood out. And I think that's because, again, like it's not. There's nothing like really emote like. I'm sorry. I, I just don't find this movie that emotional. Like I think towards the end there's, there is like a turn where, okay, it tries to be super emotional for a few minutes, but it feels not tacked on, but it just feels like, so not what the core of this movie is that I think that when it happens it, again, it doesn't, it doesn't land and leave an impression the way that, you know, a more emotional performance. I think that Jacob Tremblay and Jack Dylan Grazer are perfectly capable. I mean, actually, I don't know if that's true for Jack Dylan Grazer. I think Jacob Tremblay is perfectly capable of giving that sort of performance. I mean, I don't think Jack. Oh, the, well, no, I just don't think he's had the opportunity to like do that yet. I mean, what has he done besides Shazam? That's of consequence. He's not it, one. I of mean, the, it, he's, he was Eddie in it. I mean, yeah, but like that's a goofy character. Right? Like, that's not a serious. Well, character. So is his Shazam character. I mean, yeah, sure. No, and that's my point. <laughs> that's my point. Like we haven't gotten a non goofy character from him. That's, you know, uh, I guess he was in, I guess he was the younger Lucas Hedges and beautiful boy. I don't know. I didn't see that Never movie. Saw it. Um, but yeah, because he's not one of the. Sh- I feel like I ask this every time there's a young kid. He's not one of the Stranger Things kids, right? Mm-hmm. He's not one of no. those. Okay, I didn't think so. I thought I didn't think he was this time. I, I know that I, I did think that of the case. So whoever it was. From I mean, co- correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like Finn Wolfhard and Millie Bobby Brown are the yes, only Stranger them. Things kids who have like actually really done a lot of movies and stuff. Yeah, I think it's. Um, that's right. I think that there are. I think some of the other kids are pretty iconic at this point. I think that they will at some point translate over. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to move on past that now. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, it was it was a uh, it was not anything to write home about in terms of the voice cast here. I enjoyed the collaborative performances, I guess, of the central trio. But I don't think any of them are going to like point to this on the resume and be like, "Hey, I'm a great voice actor." Yeah, I mean, I, I would give a little bit of credit, I guess, to uh, to Emma Berman. Like I said, yeah. I think her character. She's yeah, got a lot there's of a lot. Of, there's personality in that voice. Um, sure, yeah, you know, from from the first moment that you you hear it, um, and yeah, I just think she's a you know an adorable character, um, and I you know I, I like the dimension that she brings to the movie. I, as far as the emotional stuff, you know, you're talking about jumping, I guess it's jumping ahead a little bit, but that's fine. Um, that's fine. Yeah, I, I agree. The parent stuff isn't as strong as in a lot of other Pixar movies. I mean, on Onward, for example, last year, I think, you know, nailed the the parent child stuff. That was, you know, that yeah. could With really no parents even in the movie, basically. That. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the friendship, the stuff with the friendship, and I, I mean, I guess if you want to get into spoilers, like, you know, the fact that Alberto decides to, like, get a, get the extra train ticket or whatever for Luca to to go off and 
um, you know, go to school with Julia basically at the end. Like that, that was a yeah. touching moment to me because, you know, there, yeah, there's so sure. much, it's, it's an evolution of that character because they're, you know, for most of the movie, they're kind of beefing about this because, you know, they want to go off and start their own life, you know, together as friends um, and just do their own thing. And Julia kind of is the wrinkle in this because number one, she becomes another friend for them. And number two, because she introduces Luca to this whole like education, um, you know, you know passion Knowledge. of his, which is not something that, you know, he had thought about or had the opportunity for when he was just, you know, living as a sea monster or whatever. So, so the fact that Alberto, like, um, you know, is a true friend in the end and like, you know, let's, Luca go do what he wants to do um, is what was a nice moment for me because the friendship was such an important part of the movie from the beginning. Whereas the yeah. parent relationship, you know, that it's set up there at the beginning, but most of their role is just kind of like comedy, you know, trying to, you know, flop around on land and figure out their bearings and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, they, they throw a little bit in there at the end. Um, for the yeah. emotional payoff. But I agree that wasn't, you know, that, that they didn't necessarily land that part of it as well as I felt like they, they landed the other stuff. With yeah. Albert and I think I'll, I'll give some more of my thoughts on the ending and why, why I think I maybe was like a little distracted over the course of the movie. Um, I still think that the ending was satisfying. I think it earned that, but we'll get into that a little bit later. I will say before we move on from the voice cast, I guess I'll stick to people who are like no names and, Maybe it's thematically appropriate that Emma Berman's father also is in this film is like also a nobody and Marco Baricelli. I really liked the character of Massimo, the the dad. I thought yeah. that was a great character. It was like probably one of my favorite characters um, in, in the movie. Sure. Not that the voice yeah. performance stood out necessarily, but the, as a character, I really quite enjoyed him. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that as well. I think there's a, a good ensemble here. Um, I The the villain, Eric Olé, he's a little forgettable. He's a little, you know, I feel like we've seen it a little bit before, but he gets the he gets the job done, I think, for for what he's being asked to do. But um, yeah, you know, Scott, you you alluded to the fact that you felt like maybe some of the themes or metaphors in the movie were a little bit um, on the nose at times. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you're referring to this sort of coming out angle that um, some yeah. uh, critics have, have picked, really have been discussing since this movie and its plot was announced. Obviously, it bears sure. a lot of similarity to another film that is about a gay relationship, Call Me By Your Name, um, yeah. set in the Italian Riviera, right? These two boys who meet. Um, yeah. And, you know, well, Army Hammer is not a boy, but yeah. Go ahead. Sure, that that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, sure, yeah. but you know, obviously, it's not anywhere near being explicit in this movie. I mean, Pixar no. is not there yet. Uh, I mean, we're, we're we're not there yet to where Pixar is going to be making that. I don't think. But um, but you no. can you can certainly read that into Luca's story specifically. I think, and well, um, I think it reads it out loud to you, Scott. I don't think it's okay. Well, subtle. yeah, go go on. Give give your thoughts more on that. I guess. Well, look, and, and also to be very clear, I don't have a problem with this as a theme. Like, sure. obviously, I don't like have a problem with it talking about like you know coming out and being gay. I just like kind of wish they'd owned it a little bit more. I think just think it's like so clear that that's what this movie is about. Um, like being introduced, like discovering that you are gay. And like trying to figure out how to come to terms with that and like exist in a world um, that you fear may not accept you and that you may have a very good reason to fear won't accept you. <laughs> like when you have like posters all over town saying like kill the sea monsters. Um, 
I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think that I just like kind of wish that it like, I mean, I think it goes for it pretty hard, but I think it just like kind of owned it a little bit more. Maybe, maybe I'm like asking for too much. I don't know. But like, it feels like at the end, it's like trying to trying to gloss over and like try to reaffirm and like wink at you that this is really about friendship, which it has every right to do. Like, cause there is an element of friendship, obviously, but I just wish that there was like some sort of like more satisfying thematic wrap up for, I think what is like so obvious that this film is like at least like alluding to, if not actually primarily about um, like, you, like I didn't even know. I mean, I don't really read critics that much and like read their discussions as much as you do. But like, I think that you like take a glance at this plot or this trailer and you're like, yeah, I mean, this is about a couple kids who are gay. Yeah. I mean, obviously it depends on your perspective. I think, I mean, like Alonzo Duralde was someone that I heard talking about it a lot, but he is also gay. So like that, you know, that could play a role in it. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it didn't stand out to me as being as obvious as it clearly did for you. I, I just think like it's, it's vague enough to where it's like, you could you could read it like you know you're talking about like the key, kill all sea monsters all that kind of stuff you could read it as being like an immigration type thing too right like uh from this they're from you know from this different sure. world he dreams of breaking you know maybe i just have in the heights in my head or something from last week still but <laughs> uh, you know he, he dreams of exploring this world beyond the world that he knows right um sure. and he finds himself in an environment that is very unwelcoming to outside like it just seems like it's a literal fish out of water story right um but it, it could be you know an outside you could you could read like a outsider angle of any dimension really yeah it could be about sexuality it could be about i just um, feel like there's like so many undertones in the relationship of alberto and luca sure, that it's like I, hard not to see that like yeah. when, when alberto is getting like jealous that he's becoming friends with the human as opposed to like, you know, betraying someone who is the same as him. Well, it's, yeah, it's not just that he's becoming friends with the human. It's like that it's a girl too. Like, I mean, if you, if you want to go that, exactly. That sure. It, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I understand that. I just, I do just wonder though, how much of it is, and I'm not, this isn't you obviously, but I do wonder sure. how much some of this is people projecting maybe what they wanted from the movie um onto it because yeah, i think i i just don't i still don't think pixar I, I i hear what you're saying like just come out and say it if that's what you want the movie to be, be about you know come out and say it no pun intended um but uh we're we're, we're still not there i mean uh you know obviously a lot have but what's gonna but what's of, gonna get us there though? like what's gonna a get lot us of there? change in public opinion has occurred on this issue in the last 10 15 years um i I, I don't know, Scott. All I know is that, um, you know, I read the comments on Facebook sometimes and um, uh, yeah, that's a mistake. I, I just yeah, I, I, I know. But I, I we are we are in such a controversy prone world universe right now yeah. that like um, I just know the second there's even a hint of something like this. Well, there's there going to be boy, boycotting. And, yeah. But again, it, it's. It's coded explicit. in a way to where, yeah, um, it's, yeah, it, it, it's not explicitly, yeah. quote unquote, problematic to those people who find that problematic. Um, I, I just yeah, feel like I, it, it, I with that attitude, we're never going to get there. That, like, that's the problem, right? And like, I want what, Pixar. It's just, like, I, know, I believe just, that the people at Pixar, like, probably care about this issue. Otherwise, I don't think they would have made a movie that was, like, so sure. shrouded but, in that way. And like, you expect them to, like, if this movie's going to go to Disney Plus and it's not going to go to theaters, I mean, like, what does Disney even give a crap about then? Like, who cares? 
Yeah, I, I, I know. But I, I, still, to Disney to me is like, you know, they are trying to appeal to the biggest yeah, family audience values. that they possibly can. Possibly can. And yes, in order to do that, you have to kowtow to those family values crowd uh, as well. You, because, you know, you can't um, offend them. That That is that it's one of those subsets of people that like you may not think you like you may think it's getting phased out more and more as like again as public opinion on these types of issues are changing but all it takes is for something like this to to trigger them and then all of a sudden people start coming out of the woodwork and you're like oh wow this like faction is actually a lot bigger than than i thought um and i just don't think yeah. disney is at the point where they feel confident enough poking that bear yet despite all of the change that we have undergone like i said man I, I just can't wait for the day there's like an openly like gay Mar like main character in a marvel movie like all these people lose their minds and they go see the movie anyway just so they can't not see the, the marvel movie i mean yeah th this is just the conversation that keeps happening like you know about uh, hey like people doing the absolute like movies doing the absolute bare minimum right like avengers okay. endgame being an sure. example right of a movie where you had like joe russo's character or whatever who like vaguely has one line indicating that he's gay or that he has a boyfriend or something in yeah. like a therapy scene that's like, well he has a husband i think he talks about his husband important. but yeah yeah and that's not even really that important in the movie and and people no, no, it, it's not it almost it almost does more harm than good right because it just gets people being like what's the point like this is clearly just like shameless like pandering or whatever to people who are um you know asking for for a gay character or like even Mitchell's more when it's the director as the actor <laughs> yeah even mitchell's versus the machines right which we watched a few weeks ago that has like again a couple of vague references at the very end of the movie to the fact that um the daughter character has a girlfriend or you know it is is uh you know not straight um so although that's not yeah, really, i mean like, that's not as mainstream though right like i mean i guess it is netflix but like yeah I, I mean it's still something that families are going to click on and watch because like you said it's on netflix but yeah, anyway we're probably true, getting a, a, a little far afield from the point but i do think that is a conversation that is probably you know necessary to have when you're discussing this movie just because it was there from the moment this movie was announced and you know it's yeah. it's still prominent in some of the the reviews and criticism that i've been reading um but yeah i just i, I don't know i it, it's there for sure i just don't know sure. that it's as obvious as as it clearly it clearly struck um you know accord with you well i think i think especially in a, in a context of like sure like obviously i know i'm a particular demographic right but like people like this is like a topic where like for example like yesterday the first active NFL player coming out as openly gay. And I'm yeah. like, wow, this like barely registers for me. This just feels like such a normal thing, but it's the first person. And I'm sure like the, like the, the Raiders today lost thousands of fans. Oh yeah. Of, oh yeah. Cause a bunch of assholes. Like I'm sure that like, and, and like, I can't really like my brain doesn't connect with that. Like I know it exists, but I don't like fully connect with yeah, that reality. I saw, the I saw the news and I was like, really he's the first one like i just first active like, first active player yeah but well what about michael sam though like he was in the nfl for a short time like he was open didn't he, i thought he came out after but maybe not no i don't think so i i don't i don't All know right, let's I, go cancel I, espn I, for their headline that Idiot. thought just occurred to me but yeah i mean like he was definitely drafted because that was like a big i guess he was drafted was yeah he, he played on an NFL roster at some point, or he was on an NFL roster at some point, and he was openly gay. So I, I don't know. He's I might the first player to something. announce that he's gay 
when he it's, is already active. It's, it's, it's your, uh, your so big, ten, big Ten stat of the day. They have to throw in like four layers in order to like make it an actual stat. But yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, Scott, the ending of this movie uh, is something that I, you know, spoke about a little bit that, um, you know, I, I felt that certain parts of the emotional, um, you know, angle worked better than others. The The friendship stuff. Yes, the parent stuff. Not as no. much, although, again, go, just going back to what we were just talking about, if you are, you know, sort of reading that LGBT angle onto the movie, I do think the parent stuff maybe be, maybe strikes home a little bit more, right? Because um, you're talking about, again, the, the parents have a very specific role of, like, sheltering Luca in the beginning of the movie. And then, you know, you could, you could read that ending as them, like, embracing Luca's, you know, yeah. coming out, whatever. Um, Certainly, it, it fits into, the, into that thematic narrative more than the plausible deniability alternative of immigration. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's certainly true. Um, but so I think you, you mentioned earlier, Scott, that you had a few other thoughts about, um, you know, the sort of the climax of the movie. Um, and Oh, sure. Maybe, no, it was related know, to the themes yeah. that I was talking about, right? Like, okay. I, I wish that there had been more like an equal payoff for that theme, explicit or more implicit we could i mean we've already talked about it but i think i wish that there had just been more of a payoff for that particular narrative thread and maybe the parents is that payoff maybe that's what it's supposed to be ultimately the parents like didn't really register for me that much like they felt like a an amusing i don't know side act for a very small portion of the movie when they were like running around and like kicking kids into the water which i thought was pretty yeah. funny um for a little bit until they did it like 20 times and i was like why are they still doing this this is like really weird um like what what are the parents of all these other kids thinking like like, (laughs) random two people are just like i don't know like literally just like drop kicking kids in the street yeah um but anyway i I think that i wish in the ending had just added a little bit more for that which i thought you know again given my context and my background and being more exposed to that type of of narrative maybe I just thought was, was there. Um, it was there, or at least it was there for me in the way that I read the movie, but I, yeah, I wish there was more there. I liked what was there. I really did think it was a sweet moment at the end of the movie. I thought that the sort of the, the friendship that developed between Luca and um, Luca Alberto. and Alberto. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I was thinking, I was actually thinking Julia um, oh, yeah. is like really sweet, right? Like I think that yeah. relationship is really sweet. I like the sort of climactic twist of, you know, Jacob Tremblay's Luca denying that he even knows Alberto at the big sort of at the big climactic moment of the movie. Um, I I like that. I think that, again, I don't need to be the dead horse, but I think it adds to the narrative of like someone, you know, Alberto has been like discovered that he is gay and like other gay person that is really close friends with him denies that. And and if you want to, you know, that he knows him. Add on to that right after sort of their they reveal themselves to be sea monsters, right? Because the rain, you know, yeah, gets goes bears down on them and turns them into they sea were, monsters. There's yeah. two other people there who are standing by, yeah. just like in the crowd, who like drop their umbrella. I, I really like yeah. that moment. I thought that was a great I did moment. too. And like they transform into sea monsters. We see that like these people have been living in the town and they've you it's know, like a throwaway funny moment. Exactly, but it's it's like a th- I think it's played for like a throwaway funny moment, obviously for the kids or whatever. But like, I think that is like so deep. Um, 
yeah. of like there's other people all around you who are like living the same lie that you've been trying to live. Um, again, it's just the more I talk about it, the more I just feel like it's so obviously you're there. convincing yeah. yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're, you're convincing you're, me. You're, further, but yeah. you're convincing me a little bit. Um, I think I, I, I still don't know that uh, like it's something that's written all over it. But I, again, I'd be interested to go back and watch it with like just specifically looking for that. But um, but yeah, I thought that was a that was a nice moment too of when the other sea monsters sort of reveal themselves and um, yeah, I think yeah. I think the whole the way that the whole race ends up, you know, certain parts of it are predictable, I think, but it's you know it's satisfying in the end uh, with Luca sort of you know going out in the rain, even though he knows that he's going to be um, you know exposed yeah. because he wants to save Alberto. So and then you know inclusive man who who father who was previously you know a rabid homophobe actually stands up for be, them being great and says i accept them because my daughter's sure. best friends with them yeah uh but yeah uh scott anything else you want to add about luca before we uh, move into the wrap-up no look like i said before i think other animation houses have done this type of movie better that doesn't mean that i think it, it doesn't have a place in in pixar's filmography especially for those of us who wants something a little different after, you know, a, a threesome of pretty heavy movies um, from, from Pixar in their last three outings. I mean, since they haven't made a fun movie and it's since Incredibles too, which, you know, I know you feel that maybe may not be very fun for you, but uh, I think that it does qualify as, as a fun Pixar movie as opposed to like the thematically sure. heavier, heavier stuff, or maybe it's like a tweener. It's, it's sort of between like the fun lighthearted stuff and the more serious stuff. But anyway, yeah, I think this, this fits, this fits right in. And I, I definitely like, if you have 85, 90 minutes, I'd recommend it. And I do really like the setting as well. I don't know if I've said that yet, but I, I, I think yeah. this is I, particularly, I mean, for any movie really, but animated movies too, like when something is in like a seaside town, I don't Kiki's know. I just like service, that. Baby. Exactly. And Kiki's delivery yeah. service is what I was going to point to. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's like a great, it's know, good vibes, man. Locale it's just big vibes. Stuff. Yeah. It, it just, just in like the images of the setting itself yeah. just like projects good sunny vibes for summer so i thought that was a, a good 100%. choice to to set the movie um you, where you, they, you hear that, they you hear that sony set your next spider-man movie on a beach sure um as long no as toby mcguire's in it i'm down uh all right scott what's your favorite scene or moment from luca man that's a tough one you know as fun as i i had made all these comments about how i really enjoyed sort of the the lighthearted fun nature of this. But as we were sort of talking about the last piece there, I think that I really did like it. the most emotionally affecting moment for me was not in fact the ending. Although I think that is very sweet. Like I mentioned, I think I really do like that climax, that moment where Luca sort of denies him knowing Alberto and knowing he was a sea monster, etc. I really like that. I think it's because again, I'm reading so much into maybe the, the subtext if that's what we want to call it of, of the themes here. I just, I can't read that any other way than a way that I think is really searing, right? Like they have this like really pure, but seemingly like fairly pure relationship where they're discovering a lot about themselves together, or at least Luca's discovering a lot about himself. And then in this moment of, you know, terror, right? Like sort of casts off the, one of the, one of the elements that has made him who he is um, and help and, you know, come to define who he is as a person because he's afraid of what other people will think or do to him. And I think that's real. I think that's very understandable. And I think that's a emotional reality that's like hard to wrestle with. And I really appreciated that emotional moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, you know, think if there's any sort of moment that we haven't 
um, maybe discussed so far, but uh, yeah, you know, I like all, uh, again, I like the theme of Luca and developing his passion for learning. And I think, um, you know, some of the scenes where he's bonding with, with Julia over that are, you know, really sweet yeah. scenes. And that's, it has um, like a montage in the middle about like the, right. Like every, where they're like like reading fun. books and yeah. Yeah. Like every vibes movie has to have basically. Sure. Sure. Um, so yeah, that, you know, I'll just sort of point to that idea and the, the little moments hammering that home, I thought um, worked really well. So uh, let's yeah. put a score on it. Scott, what do you give Luca out of 10? Let's do it. Uh, 7.2. Really enjoyable. 7.7 for me. I, I liked it a lot. Um, you know, if not for those first 20 minutes, it would, you know, rate even higher for me. I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is, it does rate lower than, uh, than uh, onward or soul or toy Story four, I guess for me, but um, I don't okay. see this as like stopping Pixar's role that they are on in any sense. I, I think um, yeah. this is a very welcome step in a different direction from them. Um, Pixar has been on a roll since cars three, baby. Yeah, they don't need to prove that they can do like the, you know, really experimental stuff every single time. Like they've they've proven yeah. it. Um, it's Agreed. it's nice to see the return to, you know, like Toy Story, right? Their very first film, right? It's just, you know, whimsical adventure film. And this this fits that mold, too. So, um, well, all right, I'm not Scott. Sure Toy Story is so whimsy, but OK. I'll leave it there. Well, as it, as it goes along further in the series, it gets less whimsical, I would say. But, uh, you know, those first couple movies, I do think, are... Uh, I mean, that, that first movie know. sits, like, ripping ripping toys apart and stuff. I don't know. Sure, blowing blowing but, stuff up yeah. in the backyard. <laughs> it's pretty dark. I, I I suppose, but not not quite the same level of experimentation. It's not I Inside guess, Out. That we've seen in, yeah, Inside Out or Soul or something like that. But... Yeah. Anyway, Scott, that'll do it for our review of Luca. Uh, we're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, uh, we've got some news items, uh, including uh, the latest from Steven Spielberg and his future plans. Uh, may not be what you've expected Trader. if you haven't <laughs> uh, seen this story already. Uh, yeah. I'm also going to uh, you know, provide an update on one of my favorite trilogies. And will it ever become a quadrilogy? Um, find out after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Uh, Scott, a couple of news items to hit here before we uh, wrap this thing up. Uh, you wanted to talk about uh, Steven Spielberg, the man who once said he would never, no way in hell when pigs fly would he ever do a movie with Netflix. Um, tell me about his next movies that he's going to be doing, Scott. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's going to direct these movies because there's almost certain, I, I feel very certain that he will not be directing the, these uh these films but steven spielberg apparently has a price and that price is whatever whatever hundreds of millions of dollars that netflix offered him and his amblin productions to produce at least two movies um over the next several years for them and uh yeah pretty pretty funny to hear this uh yesterday when i saw the news article and uh you know he got he got clowned in the trades for being a hypocrite and i think that's uh that checks out i think that's pretty fair uh because obviously Man, I think we probably talked about it on the podcast. You know, a couple of years ago, he was very vocal. He and uh, I guess more more recently than him, Martin Scorsese, very critical. Although I guess Scorsese is not critical of streaming. 
I don't know. I don't actually know how much. I mean, obviously he's not. He made the Irishman. Um, although and he did, he did demand. Netflix. Yeah, well, yeah, that that's a little different because that's like definitely. I mean, that's going to be distributed by A twenty four, probably. I assume because they have that distribution deal with Apple. Um, so I think that Scorsese is getting his hybrid model that he wants, and I assume Spielberg will probably construct something similar. But he was just like so critical of Netflix and you know whether or not streaming movies should even be eligible for the Oscars a few years back. And lo and behold, Mister Seven Point Six Three Billion Dollar Net Worth apparently needs to take Netflix money to get richer um and make i mean i don't know trash movies probably for netflix i don't i don't even know like what the quality of these movies are going to be you don't get to that kind of net worth without having a good eye and idea for what the market wants and i think spreadable has very quickly uh you know uh understood that this yeah. is the direction the market is going in, like it or not. And I mean, you know, yeah. again, you mentioned Scorsese there. Like even the old guard, um, and I'm not talking about the Netflix film. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you're totally not talking about the old guard of the directors. Um, <laughs> are embracing, you know, this this new uh, this new wave of streaming. And, uh, you know. Cause, cause I, especially I because if you want hundreds of millions of dollars to make a movie, the only place that will give you that is streaming at this point. Like, honestly, like. I don't think there are many movie studios that are giving non-superhero, like right, non-massive non-IP, IP blockbusters. Was, he doesn't do that. So like, exactly, neither of them do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless it's, I mean, look, he gets hundreds of millions of dollars to make Jurassic World, um, though he's not directing those movies. I suppose. I um, wish he would. <laughs> I don't know. Do you? <laughs> do you want him to be watchable? They would be watchable if he directed. Okay. Them. I mean, look, I, I don't even remember what happened. I guess I, I do remember the end of. Fallen Kingdom, whatever that second Jurassic World movie yeah, was Yeah, they called. let the dinosaurs out of the garage and, they, and the dinosaurs instantly killed like three people because of course... They, uh, <laughs> they let the dogs out, I guess. Um, yeah. But anyway, I, I just think that this is... Th- this was genuinely a shock, Scott. Uh, like, Steven Spielberg is like... I mean, he is like the old guard of the old guard, honestly. Um, and to see him be the last to cave... Like, I'm expecting... I'm expecting Chris Nolan to be... Uh, to be caving to the will of app of Apple's billion dollars any any minute. Yeah. I mean, it, it like, you know, Scorsese, you could almost like, st- you know, see it coming a little bit because I think even more so than Spielberg, he has like his finger on the contemporary button, like in a sense, like, sure. you know, he, his, his recent films are like yeah, very woke contemporary. Takes, you know, like Wolf- the Marvel, Marvel isn't cinema. Well, I, I know that, but yeah. you, you, his his recent films are like very contemporary in nature, like sure. The Wolf of Wall Street, for example, like, you know, very contemporary film, whereas Steven Spielberg is making like Bridge of Spies, Lincoln, you know, these like really like, oh, old, old, yeah, exactly. Like old fashioned, like down the middle Hollywood films, um, you know, he he more so than Scorsese, I think, seems like the type of guy who would be less willing to embrace this. But, you know, like I said before. He obviously likes money, and this is how he's going to get money. Like in yeah. the this reality of wins. today's, yeah, streaming market. Yeah, just just. But yeah, cue, cue Adam Sandler gift from Uncut Gems. It is. It is how he wins. Um, two famous Jewish people right there: Howard Ratner and uh, Steven Spielberg linking up. Uh, <laughs> Name a more iconic duo. Yeah, seriously. Um, Scott, my news item that I wanted to highlight, probably not, uh, you know, something that uh, passed across everyone's radar because it is, you know, referring to a more niche film series, I guess. But um, I want to highlight it because it's my favorite trilogy of all time. 
and that is Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. Um, you know, for those who aren't familiar, these are three films set um, nine years apart, each film set nine years apart, following the same couple, Jesse and Celine. They meet in Europe for the first time in the first movie. Nine years later, they reconnect in the second film before sunset. And then in the third film, they're a married couple. And it's um, examining their um, married life, very dialogue-driven films, um, really just two character pieces, uh, just sort of tracing this relationship from its infancy state, infant stage to when, uh, you know, sort of the romantic era of the relationship dies and reality sort of sets in. And that's a lot of what Before Midnight is about. Um, but of course, you know, that Before Midnight was 2013. Um, next year will be nine years since Before Midnight was released. And so there has been a lot of speculation. Will there be a fourth film? Uh, nothing has been announced yet. And um, however, uh, the, there's a strong indicator uh, when Julie Delphi, who is one of the films, two, one of the series, two stars, uh, along with Ethan Hawke, uh, said today that um or in a couple days ago um uh, you know this week that um there is not going to be a fourth before film or that she feels strongly that there's not going to be a fourth before film if you read more into it a lot of it seems to do with you know maybe some her personally and what she has experienced with the film industry and maybe being a little bit um disillusioned with um the film industry after her time in it, you know, she's someone who she's directed several films, um, but uh, really outside of the before trilogy um, and maybe whichever one of the Christoph Kieslowski trilogy, the three colors trilogy she was in, I think she was in white. Um, it not really like known for many of her acting performances um, and, you know, seems to have some issues with the industry. So it's unfortunate that that's the you know that I'm, I'm sure that's not the only reason that is contributing to them not making the fourth film because at the end of the day these movies have always been uh, controlled by like richard linklater ethan hawk and julie delpy like they have been the sole creative forces behind really all of these movies they wrote the last two together like all three of them um and so it feels like you know maybe yes you're disillusioned with the film industry but like this would be, this seems like it would be her happy place, you know, where she can go with people that, you know, she's comfortable with working with, she's worked with before, slip into, you know, a character that she obviously knows very well. Um, but, you know, I, I am not going to um, try to speculate as to how she feels. Um, and ultimately what it boils down to for me is that I'm glad there's not a fourth film. And, you know, I was having some back and forth today with a few people on social media, some of whom were in agreement with me, some of whom were not in agreement with me. You know, I think the, there, you know, there are some people who are big fans of the film. They're like, well, why wouldn't you want more? And yes, I understand that sentiment. I understand that, you know, again, they have always had full creative control over these movies, it seems like. And I can't imagine that they would even do a fourth one if they, we're not going, if it was not going to be that way. And they have shown in, in, you know, the three movies and beyond in the case of Ethan Hawke and Linklater uh, specifically that there's no reason to doubt them really. Like we, we can absolutely trust them that they could make another good film probably. But to me, the story as it is, has, you know, perfect beginning, middle and end. Uh, it's a three-act story, baby. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I'm just not sure that, um, you know, there's an interesting story to tell about these people nine years from where before midnight, um, you know, leaves off. Now, maybe in another nine years or something there, you can make a movie about them 
being elderly. I don't know. You can make your version of Michael Haneke's Amour or something like that. But, um, but yeah, I, I can't I don't imagine know. I just, a movie like Amour. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I, I can't either. It's Not just sure like again, they could probably ring another good movie about it, but what, like, why, why mess with a perfect? What is a perfect thing, in my opinion? Again, I think this is a perfect trilogy. It's my favorite trilogy of all time. I know it's a completely different. It's just completely different for a lot of reasons. But like, I'm, I'm just jaded now because of the Star Wars trilogy, right? Like, they had so like they could have landed the plane and made this the best Star Wars trilogy if, you know, if they had done what they should have done in The Rise of Skywalker. And like I said, obviously it's different because you have changing directors, changing creative minds, things like that. Whereas this movie would, you know, this- Not just changing creative minds, just warring creative minds. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, again, my, my personal feelings are like, I, I've been hurt so recently by a trilogy that I was such a, a massive fan of for two movies at least. Um, you know, and, and having a lot of anticipation for the last movie and, you know, it just being the letdown to end all letdowns, um, that I just, I just don't want it to happen again. Not that I have any reason to believe that it would happen again. It's just like, like I said, I just don't don't know if the subject matter of the next movie lends itself to an interesting movie. Like, I feel like they're going to be age-wise like they're going to be sort of in a similar place to where they were in before midnight um and yeah i, I, I don't know the solution is that rather than doing something a contained movie like the rest of the before trilogy they just make it like boyhood but they just like call it i don't know like before geriatricness or something and <laughs> they like film it over 20 years as they like become alzheimer's patients or something like that yeah and we know link later is making other films as well i mean of course he was making other films the whole time he did the before trilogy sure i mean he was making boyhood he was making boyhood yeah um and now he's making merrily we roll along he's already made i mean i think the animated film is done and may maybe coming out this year i don't know yeah exactly i think Um, it's coming out this year i could be wrong i think it is too knowing netflix it will just like get a a trailer like randomly in the middle of the weekend it'll be like this movie comes out in a month yeah and i'll be like okay cool um yeah also but but i think the biggest issue though is like what would you call it would you call it before noon would you call it before tea time before breakfast like what what do you call this movie if there was a fourth one before death um (laughs) i feel like that's the next again that's the next the next stage of the story right like before the witching hour yeah um i i don't know either but that just you're just making my case for me i think that you know it's a perfect no i'm agreeing with you i think it's crazy you can't yeah you can't paint yourself into a corner like that and uh with your titles and come out with a fourth one anyway if you've never seen the before films um i Highly recommend, Scott. We still haven't watched Before Midnight together. We gotta wait um, nine years, man. We gotta wait nine years. Yeah, you keep saying that, and honestly, I think it's probably gonna happen. But uh, I know that you also enjoy Before Sunrise and Before Sunset a yes, lot. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm, so, I'm looking forward to it. I say I will say this anytime it comes up. I'm looking forward to whenever we do watch yeah. Before Midnight, whenever that is. Yeah, it's a hard watch. It is a hard watch after. Well, I don't think that's why we're putting it off. But yeah, sure, sure. No, it, it's yeah. it's not. It's definitely not. But. Um, Anyway, you know, like I said, kind of a smaller story, but it's something that certainly uh, caught my radar. So I wanted to give some attention to it because I think there is, you know, interesting discussion being had um, about, yeah. you know, does there need to be a fourth movie? Does there not need to be a fourth movie? Um, and probably you know, the answer confirm- to that question always is no. There probably doesn't need to be a fourth. Movie. Yeah, I, like I was going to say, I feel like this, you know, 
applies this this sort of question and, and the idea behind this whole thing applies to more movie series than just um you know the before trilogy like do, you know if you've reached a good stopping point you know do you do you need to to keep going uh do you need to keep pushing um yeah you know just for the fans or whatever probably um, not right i mean in-game was a great fourth movie, so i'll shut up but <laughs> yeah but of course there's going to be 400 more marvel movies but um anyway uh uh, I want to say before we go that I saw another 2021 film um, this past weekend that I would like to highly recommend to people, uh, the documentary The Sparks Brothers, um, directed by Edgar Wright. Um, I went to see this in theaters. This premiered at Sundance, um, and I went to see it in theaters at my local indie theater this past Saturday. Um, it's wonderful. It you know, might be in my top two Edgar Wright movies. Um, I would probably want to watch it again to say that, but I don't know. This one feels like it has more staying power than maybe some of the other ones have had. Um, but it's a documentary about this band named Sparks uh, based out of Los Angeles. They've been around since the seventies. They've made 25 albums to date. Um, and, uh, but you know, they have never sort of achieved popular attention among like the general music, you know, loving audience, you know, mass, but um, among musicians themselves are very highly regarded. Like the the tagline of the movie is like, this is a story about your favorite band's favorite band. So they have kind of this cult status among musicians. And indeed, Edgar Wright assembles a very impressive collection of musicians um, to speak about Sparks in the documentary. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's like two hours, 15 minutes, but it really like flies by. It's very entertaining. As you would expect, like Edgar Wright just has that pop sensibility. He knows how to appeal to a commercial audience. And so he knows how to make this documentary, um, you know, appealing to a general audience who has never heard a Sparks song before. I had heard one song vaguely. I didn't know really what the title was. I didn't even know that it was Sparks. That was all I knew going into it. And, I, you know, you, you learned a lot, but there's still also a lot to be learned and to be explored. And the movie makes you want to explore that afterwards. Plus the two guys themselves who make up Sparks, the titular Sparks brothers, Ron and Russ, uh, male, are just super like awesome dudes like they just seem like genuinely good people very sort of quirky uh ron in particular has like this handlebar mustache like he he looks sort of like creepy but he has like this uh demeanor on stage which like he plays the keyboard he's the keyboardist for the for the band and he just like even though they have some pretty like upbeat dancey music he just like remains so deadpan the entire time and will like stare into the camera and stare into the audience just like dead-eyed stare and it's just kind of like ishtick and it's it's pretty funny but i highly recommend watching the sparks brothers it's a really cool ode to creativity and you know just remaining consistent to who you are as artists um over the course of the career even when you know you have some setbacks even when you're not necessarily getting the popular attention that you want and one of the most interesting things about the movie scott is that the two guys ron and russell mail they're not done for as far as 2020 movies, 2021 movies go, because they are actually writing. Uh, they have written the script for Annette, the Leos Carax musical that is coming out. Um, Adam Driver. Adam Driver. Yeah, um, Cotillard. Yeah, and that there's a little bit about that at the very end of the documentary. But yeah, so that it's it's crazy. Uh, just you know, you watch this whole movie and you see like that they've been waiting basically 40 something years for to make it right for it to, to really happen for them. And now here we go all of a sudden in the course of 
a few months here, we're going to get this documentary by a huge name filmmaker comes out about them. It's probably going to reach a, you know, a wide audience of people who had never heard about Sparks. And then, you know, and this is part of the documentary as well, that they are very interested in film. They have tried several different film projects in the past. There was actually, they were linked to a project with Tim Burton in the nineties. It was like an anime or a manga adaptation that fell through and never, um, never, you know, ended up getting made. Um, I why. but now they've, they finally, um, gotten a film made, um, with Leo's Carrick's this musical again, Annette. And so, uh, it's the year of sparks, I guess. Um, but check out the documentary now and I'm sure Annette is probably going to be worth checking out too in a few months when it gets released. So just wanted to throw that little PSA in there at the end. That was not a little PSA, but I appreciated it nonetheless. I'm long-winded. You're long-winded. That's why we do this podcast. That'll do it for this episode of So Like It, Scott. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support us, please don't forget about our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pods. We have, you know, tiers over there where you can support us. Even if you can't support us over there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope you will be back for our next episode uh, in which we will be joining the family to review F9, the fast saga, uh, on our next episode of Some Like It, Scott. Um, what a title, right? Um, I can't wait to then, talk about the dumbest naming conventions in Fran like in the history of franchises. Just totally erratic, make no sense whatsoever. Unbelievable <laughs> levels of self-parody. But um, yeah. until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you down the road. Yeah.